Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. We're continuing, of course, our study of what we're calling really the fall of man. The man and the woman, or uh, we saw last time that the woman was deceived by the serpent, ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We saw that the man and the woman both rebelled against the command of God, and uh, the woman saw that the fruit was. And if you remember what she saw, that it was good to eat, looked like for food. It was pleasing to the eye, really looked good. And then it would be one would make one wise. She'd be like God. That was what she thought. She ate, she gave to the man. And uh, she was deceived, but he ate knowingly. He sinned knowingly. That's why the Word of God says, Through one man sinned into the world, and death by sin, and death passed upon all for all sin. There, it was a very sad time. Immediately their eyes were opened, and they understood right from wrong, good from evil, because they had done evil. And immediately they died spiritually. Because God said, In the day that you eat from that tree, dying you shall surely die. They lost the fellowship with each other. They lost the fellowship with God. There was guilt that comes, guilt and shame that comes from disobedience. Now this evening as we continue, we're going to look at, at really three aspects. We're going to see, first of all, the confrontation by God. God comes in the garden. He knows everything. I mean, you know, just face it. When he comes in the garden, he's not trying to find out anything. Even though he may ask, where are you? And did you eat from this? And what did you do? He already knows everything. But we're going to see his confrontation, the guilt there. We're going to see, I'm sorry, go back. If you would, the curse of sin to all those involved, we're going to see how that fit. And then the cure for sin, which is the seed of woman, which is God's Messiah. So there's some great things there. The events of this passage affect every person who has ever lived and will ever live. Though it's powerful, uh, we see the confrontation, the curses, and the cure. So there's a lot in this little passage tonight. We're only going to look at verses 8 through 15, but I think there's a lot there. Let's begin with prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you for Jesus Christ, and thank you for him being in this since the seed of woman who crushes the head of the serpent, the one who is, uh, was promised all the way from the very beginning. Thank you, Lord, that you are the perfect God. You bring sinful man back to yourself through Jesus Christ, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the uh, one who brings us to God, and so, Lord, thank you for that. We just ask you now that as we study, you, you teach us, uh, and we'd see truths, and we'd make application. Lord, there are a lot of things that we can uh, see from this passage that we need to be able to live out daily. Thank you, Lord, for, for teaching us. Uh, show us truths we can apply now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why is it so hard to say that we are wrong and to admit that we're wrong? I mean, when somebody challenges us, when somebody says that we're wrong, our first response, no, I'm not. I really didn't do it. It's not my fault. It's so hard to admit that it's our fault. It's hard to admit that we blew it. It's so easy to pass the blame. We say something like, well, I didn't have enough time to study. The teacher gave an unrealistic assignment. The boss is unfair, especially in his expectations. He always does it this way. My wife really doesn't understand me. My family doesn't understand me. My parents are just too strict. It's so easy to pass blame for our failures to someone else or to something else. In Family Circle, you know that little cartoon. they got all those little kids. And uh, I read one one time or saw one, and there was this uh, mom comes into the house, and it's a mess. There's footprints, muddy footprints all over the kitchen floor. Toys are everywhere. And she looks at those little children, and she says, Who did this? And all the children say, Not me, not me, not me. Every one of them saying, Not me. Over in the corner, there's a little ghost-looking figure, and he's called Not Me, you know. And, and that's what it is. We all want to say, Not me, but not me is the one who did it. Uh, when we fail... We want to blame somebody else or something else. That's really how we are. This evening when God confronts the man and the woman concerning the sin, there's failure. They both pass blame, and, and we'll see how this all fits. And, and the blame is always want to be placed on somebody else. How do you respond when you fail? How do you respond when you sin? What do you do? Who gets the blame? Who takes the responsibility? 
Well, if I hadn't been put in that situation, this wouldn't have happened. Well, how do we respond when we sin and do we pass the blame? As we continue in Genesis chapter 3, God's confrontation of the man and the woman and the passing of the blame. Let me break down the passage for you. There's a lot of good things in the passage. It's not a very long passage. We call it the confrontation where he talks about the consequences of sin. We see the passing of the blame. And then I call it the curses and the cure. And it's just the very beginning because we see the curse on the on the serpent, the devil. And then we'll see the, the first really mention of, of a cure. And, and it's the woman and, and the man and even the earth. And we're going to see all that. In fact, in the next couple of weeks, not, not next week of course, but after we get back into that, we're going to see the curse on the man, the curse on the woman. We're going to see a little bit tonight on the serpent. We'll see the world as a whole. There's a lot of things there. This passage has the first announcement of the gospel message. Even though somebody said, well, I don't see the death and resurrection of Christ there. What you do see is the seed of woman who's going to come crush the head of the serpent. And, and Paul even says that that seed is Christ. And so uh, Paul later on brings it to be that the one going all the way back to the beginning is really Jesus Christ. Well, as we begin, let me remind you what has happened. The devil, as the serpent, came in that form of the serpent, deceived the woman to eat from the tree that God had forbidden. Here was the plan. He, he made her doubt God's love and doubt God's word. He said, first of all, God said that you can't eat from all the trees. And she said, we can eat from all the trees except this one. Can't eat it or touch it. And, and the question really was, is you mean God's limited you? Why would God limit you? If God really loves you, he wouldn't limit you. He'd let you do whatever you want to do. And then he wanted her to doubt God's word because she said we're not supposed to touch it or eat it because if we do, we'll die. And he said, you won't die. You won't die. In fact, when you eat that, you'll be like God. He doesn't want competition. He knows that the day that you eat that, you'll be just like him, knowing good and evil. And he doesn't want you to be like him. And, of course, she looked at it and said, you know, it it does look good. And I'm hungry. And it will make me wise. Well, she ate, she gave to her husband, who apparently, the best we can tell from the way the Hebrew is written, he's right there with her. You know, we talked all about this thing, and, and the bottom line, here's the serpent, here's the woman, here's the man, they're near to that tree, and, and she reaches up and eats and gives to him. And, and one of the questions last week was, how long a time period did all this happen? Well, it doesn't appear to be very long, because when God comes in the cool of the evening, the serpent's still there. I mean, the man and woman went to hide, but when he, he comes in and lines them up, they're all there together. So it appears to me that it happened very quickly, and uh, we'll see uh, how all this happened. Their eyes were open. There was the guilt. There was the loss of fellowship. They died spiritually. They were not the same. Fallen man is not the same. Not the same as the original plan. They tried to cover their sin, they ran, and they hid from God. And that's what happens. Anytime we sin, there's shame, there's a break of fellowship, fellowship with each other, fellowship with God. Well, let's see the confrontation. Let's see what happens. Look at verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, you know, if God is God, you're not going to be able to hide from him, right? I mean, let's face it, behind a tree, uh, you're not going to hide from him. And uh, there's a, there's several little issues that that I want you to think about. And there's not really some answers for some of this. They they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Who is this? Is this God the Father coming? He's a spirit being. Is it the Holy Spirit? He's a spirit being. Is it Jesus Christ, who is a spirit being until he becomes the Son of God, until he becomes, excuse me, until he becomes a human being at Genesis, at Galatians 4 4, the fullness of God brought, God brought forth his Son? Who is this? Is this Jesus? Some want to say that this is probably Jesus in a pre, pre-incarnate form, some type of form in which he would come and so that man could see him. But he heard the sound of, they heard the sound of him walking. 
in the garden in the cool of the day. And he's called the Lord God here. That's the special title name as we've been seeing already beginning in chapter 3. The word Lord there is, is Y-H-W-H, you know, which is the personal name of God. And, of course, the word God is Elohim. So there he is. He's the Yahweh Elohim. He's coming. And, and the man and his wife, notice how it puts it. It didn't say the man and the woman. The man and his wife. Because God has already brought them together, right? What God has joined together, he said, talked about that they would become one, they would leave a mother and father and, and be with each other. So he's their husband and wife. And so it says, and the, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Well, he's coming. It appears that it was normal that he would come and meet with them. And they ran and hid. There's the guilt. There's the shame that they've done wrong. I noticed two things from the verse that God is coming for the man and the man's fellowship is broken. Now think about this. It's God coming for the man. When man sinned, he didn't go looking for God. He didn't say, oh, we got, we're in trouble. I'm going to find God and talk to him about this. I'm going to go tell him what I've done. That's not what happened. In fact, man hid from God and it is God who's coming to find man. And that seems to be the issue of salvation because all we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way. There's none that seeks after God. There's none who does that. And so it's God who came looking for us. It is God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is God who sent Jesus into the world. It is not man coming looking for God. It is God looking for man. We see that man has lost his fellowship, his broken fellowship is broken with God and, and with each other. There's guilt and fear. If you look at this just for a second, you'd say, what do you mean man's fellowship is broken with his wife? Well, they already covered themselves up. Everything had been fine up to then, and as soon as they sinned, they were going, what are you, you don't have any clothes on. I don't have any clothes. What are we doing? There's something not right there, and now they're hiding from God, and their fellowship has been broken with God. Their fellowship is broken with each other. We're going to see it immediately that their fellowship is broken with each other when God says, did you eat, Adam? And he goes, the woman, the woman, they didn't, they didn't have that fellowship. See, it's a totally different thing. Let's look. There's, there's two aspects. God is, is coming for the man, and man has lost his fellowship. Let's look at man has lost his fellowship first. It's, man has lost his fellowship. There's the guilt and the fear. There's the guilt that they had sinned. They had disobeyed God. We know that even if you catch your children or somebody doing something wrong, and you say, they'll run away because they don't want you to, to spank them. They don't want to get into trouble. They're already into trouble. They just think they're not into trouble. Sin always brings guilt and loss of fellowship cannot hide it. Bruce Wilkinson talks about uh, Shakespeare's Macbeth, washing the hands and compulsively washing the hands after killing and the blood stains, and even though they're off, but they're always, they're always on the hands, always on the hands. And sometimes when we sin, that, that aspect is there. And we can, I guarantee you, if you said to, to the man, Adamah, and the, the woman, Isha, what have you done? I mean, they, they, they say, I, I don't know if we can fix this. We can't fix it. The mark is on our souls. We come into this world dead in trespasses and sins. So uh, this, this whole idea of guilt and loss of fellowship, I mean, just think about it. Uh, human beings come into the world guilty and, and, and out of fellowship with God. We're dead spiritually. I mean, you realize that. People aren't in fellowship with God when they're born. They're not in fellowship, in a sense, with God until they believe in Jesus Christ and they're placed into union with Him and that kind of thing. So that, that the, the first half of the verse, oh, I'm sorry, would you put that back up for a second? The first half of the verse is that God is coming for the man. It is God who is seeking to bring man back into a relationship and fellowship with himself. It is not man who seeks God, but it is God who seeks man. Watch this. Look at this part right here. First of all, when we talk about, go ahead and go to the next slide. It, it is God who so loved the world that he gave his son. Second, it is God 
who draws man to himself. Third thing, look, it is God who chose us from the foundation of the world. As you keep going, it is God who came to seek and save the lost. It wasn't the lost who came to seek and save God. It was God who came to seek and save lost. And then I think there's the last one here. It is God who reconciles the world to himself through Christ. Second Corinthians chapter 5. If you just wanted to, if you said, I'd like to study the Bible, but I don't want to study a big old long book, and I don't really know what to study, here's a great thing to study. Go to Second Corinthians chapter 5, begin at verse 17, and go through 21, that little section, and study that on your own. Do the observation, interpretation, application. Look at all the stuff, and study it in depth, because that's the most important passage in the Bible on reconciliation. God reconciles man to himself through Christ. He goes on to say in verse 18, 2 Corinthians 5, namely, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Verses 18 and 19 have that. So, it is God who brings mankind to himself uh, through Christ. That's why we say the story of the Bible. Perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son, Jesus Christ. But what do we see about the man? It is man who runs from God. It is man who went and hid. Anytime we sin, what do we do? We want to hide. The second thing, it is man. It is no man seeks after God. The third thing, it is man, like sheep, it is us who, like sheep, have gone astray, each one our own way. And that's what we see over and over. The truth is this. If God had not come after man, man wouldn't be saved. If God would have left man alone in the garden, what would have happened? Salvation is all of God. God uses His Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, righteousness, and judgment and to bring us to Himself. You are saved because God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you and to draw you to Himself. So it's a powerful passage. And here they heard the sound of the Lord God walking, and so they ran and they hid. So what happens? Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now we know it's, it's rhetorical in that sense because God knows everything. He knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows everything. He knows where you are. He knows where you're going to be. He knows where you could have been. You know, he knows everything. He knows every possibility. He knows where you would be if you weren't here. He knows every possibility of where you could have been if you weren't here. Not just where you might have been if you weren't here, but every place you could have been if you weren't here. He knows everything. And so when he says, where are you, God's not asking that to say, listen, I'm, I'm having a little trouble with my godness. I can't find you. He, that's not what he's saying. He's wanting the man to go, I'm over here. I, I, I really need to talk to you. I think, I think I've really messed up. That's what he wants the man to do. He wants the man to, to and say, come here, come here, honey. Look, we've we got to go talk. We, we blew it. That's what he wants man to do. When we sin, what does he want us to do? What happened when David sinned with Bathsheba? This we can tell in that Psalm 53, uh, not Psalm 51, that, that it may have been close to a year from the time that David sinned with Bathsheba before the confrontation with Nathan and, and, and that he confessed the sin. And he says in that Psalm that, that his bones were breaking and, and he was feeling horrible and the weight of the Lord was on him because God was dealing with him. What God wants us to do is when we sin is to tell on ourselves. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if you tell on yourself, he's faithful and just to forgive you. So he's asking the question, and he's saying, where are you? And he wants the man to say, I'm right over here. He wants man to come forward and admit his sin. Now, there's a great truth here, and that is the word of God goes out even when there's sin. The word of God cannot be stopped. Sin's not a barrier to the word of God. It is not. The Word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes right to the heart of the issue and always accomplishes the purpose that God has for it. Look at the answer. He said, 
I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. I was afraid. The consequences of sin. Sin brings fear. Sin brings uh, a break of fellowship. Sin brings shame. It always does that. There's guilt and shame and fear because he said, I, I found out I was naked, so I hit myself. How did he know he was naked? That hadn't been an issue up till now. So look what God says. And he said, verse 11, Who told you that you were naked? And before he can even answer, he says, Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? He always knows. What, he, what does he want? Does he, does, he, does he know that the man and the woman have eaten? Of course he knows. He knows everything. He's not trying to find out information. He's wanting the man, Adamah, Adam, to say, yes, I, I, I blew it. I blew it. In fact, it's really my fault. It's really doubly my fault because she was there and I should have stopped the whole thing. I should have stepped in and said, wait a minute. If you're going to talk to anybody, you talk to me. You don't have to be talking to her. You talk to me. But that's not what he did. And he blew it. And instead of saying, I blew it, that's what God wants them to do. That's what God wants us to do the moment we recognize that we have done wrong. And for many of us, that's not very hard and it doesn't take very long to recognize we've done wrong. The moment we do that, we need to confess our sin. And he's faithful and just to forgive us. But this is not what happens. The first step in the whole idea of salvation, reconciliation, and everything is admitting that we've sinned and need a Savior. And in this passage, this is the aspect of salvation. He's saying, you sinned, you need a Savior. He needs to say, I've sinned, and I can't fix it, I need help. And all of us in this room, Lord willing, and I, as I know all of you, there was a time in our lives when we realized we had sinned, we'd come short of God's glory, we were in rebellion against God, and we couldn't fix it. There was not one thing we could ever do about it, and we come to God in a sense because He came looking for us, and we say, I can't fix it, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ. As a believer, when we sin, he wants us to do the same thing. He wants us to confess it. He wants us to tell on ourselves. That's the kind of the thing. The, the problem in, in, in the day of Jesus Christ, what we've been studying in the Gospel of Luke, is the religious leaders. They didn't think they needed a Savior. They didn't think they'd really sinned. They said, best we can tell, we're keeping the law the best we can. And we think we're pretty much okay. You remember last week uh, that the, the Pharisee stand up there and says, I'm glad I'm not like most men. I'm not glad I'm like, like other people. And they're, they're adulterers and they're sinners and this. And, and like that tax collector, I'm just so glad I'm not like them. They didn't think they needed a Savior. Every one of us in this room, we all need, we know we needed a Savior. And we all know now, day in and day out, that we have a Savior, and that when we sin, the very first thing we have to do is go right to Him and tell on ourselves. He said, Who told you, naked? have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you to eat? And literally, it, the emphasis is, did you, the way it's written in the, in the Hebrew, did you, emphasis, did you from the tree I commanded you, did you eat, emphasis, that's the way it's put. So the idea there is, did you eat, that's the emphasis. Did you disobey me? Adam's answer should have been, yes, I did it. I disobeyed you. I failed. I've come short. I, I, I know what you told me, and I did wrong. And he could have even said, and now I realize what you mean when you said this is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because 
I know what evil is. I've done wrong. I, I, I now know what right and wrong. I, I put it together. We see the loss of fellowship with God because they're dead in trespasses. He passes the blame. The man's going to blame the woman. The woman's going to blame the serpent. But there's even more there. So look at his answer. And it's uh, sometimes if you read it fast, you might miss who he really blames here. Look at verse 12. The man said, this is what he said. God says, have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me. From the tree, and I did eat. The woman, notice it is the woman you gave me. You notice the broken fellowship is not just with God, but it's with each other. They blame each other. They pass the blame. I read something about Will Rogers. He said, in the history of the United States, there are two eras, the passing of the buffalo and the passing of the buck. And the buck's still passing, and people keep passing it away. It is the woman. Now, notice he actually blames two people here. Look at the next slide. Uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, go to the next slide. He blames two. He's actually blaming God and the woman. It is the woman you gave me. Now, you notice he's not just saying it's the woman's fault. He's saying it's really your fault, God, because this is the woman you gave me. You gave me this woman. I didn't ask for this woman. I just went to sleep and woke up and there she was. So, I mean, I liked I liked her when I first got her. But let me tell you what happened. Is, this thing has not worked out the way. I, I think she's defective. I mean, obviously something's wrong here because the woman you gave me. And so really he is blaming two things. He's blaming God for giving him this woman and he's blaming the woman. The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I did eat. It's almost as if he's saying, this wouldn't have happened if you hadn't given me this woman. Henry Morris says, instead of praising God for his goodness, he is blaming God for his troubles. Not too long ago, he was saying, wow, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is something I've been looking for. I mean, I saw giraffes go by. I saw all this other stuff go by. Nothing matched me. She matched me. Now he's saying, uh, she's really the problem here. It is easy for us to blame other people when we do wrong, isn't it? We want to say, well, it's my childhood. See, you just don't know about my, my, my background. You don't know how my mom and daddy treated me. You don't know how it was with my family. You don't know what the poverty we had or you don't know the problems we had. This is what causes me to be the way I am. Or we say, it's just our society. If I lived in a better part, or and there's some people would say things like, you know, if we could just get those people out of poverty, they wouldn't steal and rob and, you know, they wouldn't do all of that. People, you know, or, you just don't know my husband, or you just don't know my wife. We all want to blame somebody or something for our failures and our sin. We really don't want to say, I just blew it. So God lets the man, and we're not going to say he lets him off the hook. He lets the man talk. The man doesn't confess his sin. He basically blames the woman. The woman whom you gave me, God, that's the one. So God then turns to the woman. Verse 12, uh, verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And he basically says, So you've done wrong. What is this you've done? What did you do wrong? And the woman said, Well, I know that I wasn't supposed to eat, but I did. And I gave it to my husband. Is that what she says? No, no, no. She says, the serpent. It's the serpent. Of course, the serpent's going, 
He's trying to find who can he blame. There's not anybody to blame. The serpent deceived me and I ate. I was tricked. And you know what? She's right. Because later on the Word of God talks about how she was deceived. Now, being deceived doesn't mean you still do wrong. And we can be tricked on a lot of things, but there are things that are right and wrong, and we know that things are right and wrong. And she knew. She knew not to touch that. I mean, he, not to eat it. You know, we know that most likely the man had said to her, because she wasn't there when God gave the original instructions, and the original instructions don't eat from the tree. She said to the serpent, I'm not supposed to eat from it or touch it, because I'm sure that Adam, Adam, Adamah had said to her, don't even touch it, don't get over there. And, and it just is such a hard thing to realize that when it all came down, there she is, and he's standing most likely right beside her, and there's the serpent, and they're right by this tree, and what Adam should have done was stopped it. And we look back, and a lot of times we say, what I should have done then, what I should have done. There's a lot of shouldas in life, what we should have done. The Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. It's not really me, but it's the serpent who caused the mess. They both passed the blame. God wanted them to admit their sin. And in the confrontation, they didn't. We, we've got to admit our sin. I mean, how many of you sinned today? Right? You did. Admit it. It was a bad thought somehow, a wrong thought. Uh, we did. We do it all the time. And when we recognize that we sin, we need to confess our sins because he's faithful and just to forgive us. We don't need to blame somebody else. We don't need to say, it's just the culture. You can't turn on TV. You can't look at a magazine. You can't, go. you can't blame somebody else for our sins. That's the problem. And so we see now God's going to deal, and there's the negative and the positive, I think, in this. We're going to see the curses and the cure. That's the negative and the positive. The curses is going to be on the man and the woman and the snake and, and Satan and the earth and all that. The cure is going to be for sin through the seed of the woman. So let's look. He's going to, we're going to start it. And he, here's, I think here's the best we can see. He talked to the man, and the man said the woman, and so moves down to the woman, and the woman says the serpent, so he moves down to the serpent. The best we're going to see, and we'll see it next time, next time we get into the passage, that he starts with the serpent and gives the information and the curse, and then he moves to the woman and gives the information and the curses, and then he moves back to the man. So he kind of goes down the line and then back the line as he does this. The first we see, in, in this little section, even though it's the curses on the serpent, the cure for mankind is given in this passage. Look what he says, verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent. Now, you notice that he didn't say to the serpent, did you do this? He knows everything. He doesn't give the serpent a chance to confess his sin. Who is the serpent? He's the devil. He's already sinned. He's already broken fellowship with God. He's already been kicked out, the best that we can tell. He is, he, he's not got a chance here. He's already confirmed in his sinfulness. You remember we talked about these angels and there, when, when Lucifer fell, the best we can tell is maybe a third of the angels, some, you know, there's a veil reference to that in the book of Revelation, that, that some angels went with him, which we call demons, and, and since, since angels don't reproduce, that was at a one point in time in history when a sense that angels were confirmed in either their state of righteousness or their state of sinfulness. And so he didn't come to the serpent, who is Satan, really, and say to him, Now, what is this you've done? I gave you a chance to confess your sin, deal with it, and maybe we can work on this. Uh, that's not happening. 
He says, because the Lord God said to the servant, because you have done this. Now, the first thing is going to be the curse on the serpent and all. And, and there's a reason for this. It's not like, well, poor old snakes. Poor old snakes because the poor things, they, they, no telling what they look like. They were obviously up, up on all fours or, or they were up somehow and now they're on their belly. There's a reason for that. Every time you see a snake, what should you think of? The fall. The fall of man. And, and, and every time we see that, we go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Every time I see a snake, I think, why is that snake slithering on the ground? Because of the curse. Because of the fall. Every time a woman has a baby and it's hurting really bad, what should we remember? Every time somebody dies, what should we remember? Those are all part of the curses of the fall. We'll see them as we go through it. Notice the Lord God said to the servant, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all cattle and above every beast of the field. On your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life. The first curse aspect of the serpent is on beyond the belly for now. Whatever the serpent looked like before the fall, we have no idea. Some have said his legs, some have walked upright. We have no idea. But from that point on, the snake is on its belly, eating the dust to the ground, as we say it. And uh, from here, he then moves to, in a sense, to the to when we says the serpent, he's going to now talk to the devil. Verse 15, I will put enmity, that's, that's conflict, between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. There's a veiled reference in there. This verse is the first mention in the Word of God of the promise of the Savior and the Messiah. It embedded in this is, 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 is the only hope for mankind, the seed of woman. There's conflict between Satan and Christ, between the unbeliever and the believer. That's all put in there together between the woman, between you and the woman, between her seed and your seed. And there's a dual thing there. The, the seed of woman, it could be the first aspect is just the human beings coming out. There's going to be a conflict, human beings with, with Satan and the whole idea of the fall and believers and unbelievers. And then there is the aspect of the seed of woman as we trace it on down, is the Messiah. And there will be enmity between Lucifer, the son of the morning, the, the angel, and the son of God, who is, is the savior of the world, the one who's going to undo, who's going to undo what has been done. We've been studying in my Sunday school class the seven last things in the book of Revelation, and the seventh thing is the new heavens and the new earth and the new holy city Jerusalem coming down. Well, what is amazing, that's the undoing of everything because the first creation, and he created a heavens and an earth and a fall and everything was all in there and it's messed it up. And at the very end, it's all fixed, a new heavens, a new earth, and a new city because that's the one only Jesus can, can, can change it all. The seed of woman, the best we can it says between your seed and her seed the seed of woman is the Messiah he shall bruise you on the head uh, the best we can tell I think uh, yeah, the seed of woman is the Messiah Jesus Christ that's the later aspect and we'll see it maybe in just a minute but the seed explains the New Testament explains is the Messiah there's a struggle between Satan and Christ 1 John chapter 3 verse 8 Jesus Christ appeared that he might destroy the works of the devil that's what it said John, 1 John 3 8 what is the outcome there I think the next slide, it says the outcome is that he will crush. It says he will bruise you on the head and you, he will bruise you on the head and you will bruise him on the heel. That word bruise there is the word crush. It's the idea that the seed of woman will crush the serpent. But the serpent will bruise him on the heel. 
And most scholars, as they look at this, say that the seed of woman is going to crush like a death blow to Satan, where Satan is going to bruise on the hill. It's not a death blow. And most have said that this is the foreshadow of Jesus going to the cross and dying and paying for sin and rising again. That's, that's him being bruised. And I think there's a quote by Will Varner who says, The Messiah will suffer in the process of defeating Satan. And that's what happened on the cross, the suffering servant. He comes and he, his heel is bruised as he dies in our place and rises again. But he does that and crushes totally. Satan and, and has the victory uh, and it's very powerful and, the, and when you think about the Messiah I think that's the next slide the Messiah this is as we see through the scripture is the seed of woman who is the man born of woman who is the seed of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah all the way through the seed of Abraham seed of Isaac seed of Jacob seed of Judah the seed of David sometimes most of the time called the son of David the one born of the Virgin Mary and as Paul said the seed is Jesus Christ and so when you see the veil reference in Genesis 3:15 is really is talking about the seed of woman who is Jesus Christ who who goes all the way through and it's pretty powerful. Irving Jensen says that there are three things there. You see the seed of woman, who he's going to be human, but he's going to be bruised, and he's going to suffer, but he's going to crush Satan and has the victory over sin and death. So there's so much, even in this little verse. And, and you know, if you said, well, who is the seed of woman? Uh, what do you think they thought? Do you think that they realized that someone coming from this woman is going to be their, their savior. And when they had a child, what was his name? What was their first son name? Cain. She said, "I." They named him Cain because he means help. I've got a, I've got a, a son, a man who, who is a help from God. What she was meaning is, I got the one. They may have thought that this baby born, this Cain, is going to be the seed of woman who will crush the head of the serpent. That's what they probably thought. It didn't turn out that way. They realized pretty quickly. I mean, God didn't say to them, it's going to be thousands of years before I bring this to pass. He doesn't say anything about that. He just gives them the message. The cure is the seed of woman who would someday take away the sin. Well, we've gone right out of time, so I need to stop. The man and the woman hid from God. It was the guilt and the fear. God came for the man and the woman. He wanted them to admit their sin. They both passed the blame, and we saw the curses and the cure. The curses uh, were really to remind them of sin. Let me, let me just tell you, we're going to see them, but every time we see a serpent, every time we see pain in childbirth, every time we see somebody die, it should be saying that's because mankind fail. And that's just part of it. It's a mess. But God has a cure. And it's the seed of woman. Let me give you the applications real quickly. And we'll, first of all, realize the consequences of sin. The fall of man, the guilt, the fear, the loss of fellowship, spiritual death, separation. All happened when man sinned. They went from life to death. They went from pleasure to pain. They went from abundance to toil. With sin, there is the curse. And we're all under it. This whole world groans and travail, as Romans chapter 8 says. The world is dead in sin, and we come into this world dead and trespass in sin. Even R.C. Sproul says, we're not sinners because we sin, we sin because we're sinners. It's true. We come into this world, we're dead. We're under the curse and accountable to God. People will be judged not by the way that others see them, but by the way God sees them. And so when we see the snake, the labor, the toiling, jobs, conflict, all of that... We should realize 
That's part of the fall. Number two, and this is key, don't pass the blame. As a believer, don't pass the blame. When we sin, we sin. It's not the culture. You can say, well, the culture affected me. It did. You can't say, I'm basically good because you're what? You're not basically good. You know, we sin. We can't pass it on. We have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have to have a Savior. All we like sheep have gone astray. God saves us. And we're each one accountable to God for our actions. Don't pass the blame. The third part is come to the cure and make it known. I mean, the cure is Jesus Christ, the seed of woman. He died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. A, trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. For us in this room, as I look out, I I would say that probably every one of us, I hope that every one of you in this room, you've already trusted in Christ. You've taken the cure. Uh, Jonathan Edwards says there is a choice concerning Jesus. You can ignore, ignore him or embrace him. You can't avoid him or the consequences of your choice. He's the only one that can save you. B, proclaim the cure. It has been said that evangelism is one beggar telling another beggar where to get food. It's true. We're telling others. I read this. Uh, there's an old story of, of uh, story told of this man who fell in the river, and a friend jumped in and saved him. And he said, from that point on, the rescued man would always point out and said, "There's the man who saved my life." Are you and I pointing Jesus Christ to others and saying, "There's the one that gave me eternal life, and He can give you eternal life. He can be your Savior too." Maybe realize the consequences of sin, the fallen guilt, separation. May we not pass the buck, but realize we're sinned and we're accountable. And may we come to the cure of Jesus Christ and tell others. Let's pray. And if there's any questions or comments, we can deal with it. Uh, Heavenly Father, thanks for a great night. Lord, help us as we look at the passage. There's just so much in this. And Lord, help us as we realize that you are the one come looking for the man. Even though when we sin, we, we're not, we're, no one is seeking after you. And we, like sheep, have gone astray. And we're in rebellion against you. And in your grace and mercy and love, you sent Jesus Christ to die for us. And you're looking for us. You want us to be with you. And Lord, may we, may we make, make that known. May we realize the consequences of sin. May we deal with sin in our own lives. And Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ. And may we proclaim to others the only way to, to have victory, the only way to be saved, the only way to be back into a relationship with the living God is through Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. Help us, Lord, to be able to be ready to give the answer, especially especially this week when we think of Easter and the death and the resurrection of our Savior. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.